Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and on this week's episode we're going to be chatting with hand lettering artist Dina Rodriguez about finding your passion and turning that into a business. Before we go into that, I want to thank the sponsor of this episode, FreshBooks. Now FreshBooks is an accounting software that I use on a daily basis to send invoices, log expenses and track the time I've used. It looks beautiful and is super easy to use and is a tool I highly recommend. If you'd like to check it out, they kindly offered listeners of this show a free 30-day trial. To get this, just visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. This week, I'm chatting with Dina Rodriguez. Dina, hopefully I'm pronouncing your surname correctly, and I'm sorry if I'm not. Now, Dina is the hand lettering artist behind Letter Shop. I got to know Dina a few years back when I discovered her channel on the live streaming platform Twitch. She was designing the new logo for the business blog Milo live to the website's users who could ask questions and interact with her as she was working. Her bright, fun personality made it really entertaining to watch, so I've dropped in now and again to see her hand-lettering various posters and other amazing designs which have been really inspiring to see. Dina's design career started with an internship at Disney. She then spent the next five years bouncing between different agencies and startups, and even though she was doing very good work, she never felt accomplished or happy. But then she started to draw again, which led her to hand lettering. So I introduced you to Dina to talk about how she's found her passion and how she's turned that into a successful business and a personal brand. Well, I think like most people, when you have like the nine to five, uh, especially when like you have a an original some sort of like artistic passion and everyone tells you oh you can't make a living as an artist so you do the second best thing which is get a graphic design degree and then you kind of you know you succumb to oh this is okay I'm just going to compromise my values okay next year oh I don't need to find a new job I'm fine here I'm making good money and you just keep on compromising and then I think I just had kind of a a wake-up call when uh, I was hearing about this, uh, like a few of my friends back in Orlando that were making real names for themselves and they were, went to college with me and, uh, you know, and when you are that close with someone for, because I went to Full State University, so it was like, you know, class of 15 kids, same kids every single semester, uh, we would be in class together for eight hours a day, six, you know, six days a week, you know, you get to know these people very well. And then some people were doing, you know, you get kind of like jealous, right? <laughs> you feel the fear. You're like, why are they doing better than me? Uh, and then I realized it's because they were following their passion and I somehow got lost along the way. Um, so I, you know, went back to my roots. Uh, I, I realized I had been focusing so much on graphics and pushing pixels and doing all this different production work for really great companies, but something was missing for me. And I think, uh, when I started to get my hobby back, which was drawing, something kind of clicked and I knew mm. I had to pursue this further, regardless if it was for money or not. I was just happy that I was finally doing what I'd always had set out to do since I was a kid. Um, but just being able to have something for myself was just such a game changer. Like even my boyfriend uh, and we've been together throughout this whole journey of me going from <laughs> graph designer to hand lettering artist to teacher. Um, he said like he saw like a, a spark in me he didn't see before. And I was like happier and more happy go lucky 
Uh, and I got a couple of those comments from my friends as well. So it was, it was like a whole life change. It doesn't just improve your mood while you're doing it. It actually lifts you up throughout your day. So that was kind of a powerful. So I just kind of kept following my gut after that point. I just think it's fascinating that you've actually really found your your passion and that you've been able to make money from it. I think it's awesome. So <laughs> I know that you discovered hand lettering and you started to practice each day and you were doing that during lunch breaks and through to the night. At mm-hmm. that point, was you doing a part-time job, just so that I can understand? Oh, yeah. So um, I had moved to Portland and that was when I really started to get super heavy into hand lettering because I didn't have any friends yet. You know, I hadn't really gotten familiar with the scene, the hipster scene here in Portland, Oregon. Um, so I just was drawing a lot, uh, but I did have a full-time job. So, um, it was kind of a weird situation. I started in as like a web designer and then that company got bought out by another company. And then I started it up somehow into social media marketing and was getting all these different certifications. So it was a lot, a lot of learning in my new job, which kept me interested. Uh, cause I, I don't know about you, but I tend to get bored with the job after about six months to a year. So it was nice to be able to switch gears in a different role for a little while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I was hustling. I was, you know, working nine to five and then I was drawing whenever I could. And then obviously trying to have some time with my boyfriend and friends that I eventually made here, uh, and just trying to, f- have a nice work-life balance, which I know pretty much everyone struggles with. So I know you was practicing like hand lettering. How did you go about doing that? Was you using any kind of reference or just basically sitting down drawing letters as, as you felt? Yeah, I think like most people, you just like see all the cool, the cool guys on uh, like Instagram and Pinterest and you're like, I want to do that. So you like see a phrase that you might be able to flip and make it your own. Or um, sometimes I would just straight up copy people. I mean, not to post, but just to practice to see like, okay, well, how do they get that lick of the S or how do I keep the tilt consistent? And, And, you know, when I first started lettering, there wasn't any educational material out there at all. There were some old calligraphy books that were collecting dust at a library, but there wasn't as many tools and guides and videos as there are nowadays since it's kind of exploded um so I just kind of self-taught myself and uh, I don't think it was until I started getting into uh Sean West and listening to uh, his podcast and taking his like right when it came out the the lettering uh guide that he put out was just a game changer I was like oh that's how you draw the letter a that's how you keep your kerning <laughs> consistent throughout your letters oh snap there's a baseline I should be aware of like <laughs> I had no idea I just kind of like fumbling around in the dark before then I've never actually taken his course myself but I've seen a few of the um free tutorials online and there's just basic things like kerning and he explains it in such a nice way and I don't know what was out there previously, but I know that he really kind of changed the scene for, um, you know, anyone that, that was into hand lettering. So it's awesome that you you were so inspired by that. Mm-hmm. You, you might notice, like, now that I teach a lot of lettering and I also teach lettering on a college level, a lot of the things that I say come from that class from Sean West. <laughs> People, like, when I do teach courses or workshops, they're like, wait, didn't Sean West said that? I'm like, he was a very wise man. And if I quoted him every single time I said anything, all I would be saying is Sean West, Sean West, Sean West, Sean West. <laughs> okay, so you turn your passion into a business. Now, I'm keen to understand the te- the the steps that you took because what i hope that the listeners will get from this is that they could do the same thing so could you talk through kind of okay you found your passion okay tick 
<laughs> what next? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's all about consistency. Like anything you're trying to learn, you just have to work on it every single day. Even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you got, you put, you put everything you have, dedicated focus time, like no TV, no, no screens, just you and a piece of paper, old school. Um, and then I just started posting things online and it happened all very organically. Like I wasn't really pushing for anything. I wasn't immediately selling my service. I kind of was just, you know, posting on like Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest and all these different social media platforms. And it wasn't until the audience that was following me started to tell me things like, Hey, how much, how, how much would it cost to get a logo done? Or, Hey, I'd love this as a, you know, a printed t-shirt. Like it's crazy. I mean, thanks to social media, it's so much easier to like build a following and actually have an audience that's loyal and really cares about you and the work you produce. Um, and so it was like my first inkling of like, Oh wow. Someone actually finds me inspiring. What? <laughs> so once people started to give me all this positive feedback, it kind of gave me the confidence to, to kind of start. And this is when I was like, you know, hit, you know, the first thousand followers on Instagram and was just kind of feeling really motivated. So I took all of my marketing know-how, uh, which I definitely recommend anyone who ever wants to do freelance or any business whatsoever. You have to learn marketing. It's not all about the pretty pictures. You have to understand demographical data. You need to understand how to pull and engage an audience. It's, it, it's completely like practicing is one thing, but you have to understand, you need to know the rhyme behind the reason, right? Um, so like just blogging a lot, I was just teaching everything I possibly could, not only so I could, you know, build an even stronger following, but to also just better solidify my own knowledge. Uh, so it was like blogging weekly on lettering and freelance and creativity. And sometimes I talk about more personal things like my, you know, uh, my issues with social anxiety or, um, how to get a better night's sleep, like weird things like that. Just anything I could to just try to reach my arm into the universe of the internet. And, and hopefully someone could grasp my hand on the other side and kind of follow along with me with this journey. Um, and once the blogs are rolling in, I was like 2,000 subscribers, 5,000 subscribers, 10,000 subscribers, all within like a six-month period. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right. And when the audience comes, the clients follow. So I, like, I never had to cold call or do that thing where you like send a bunch of art directors pa like paper they're just going to throw away in your portfolio. People were starting to approach me for work. And then it was all about just figuring it out and having an established pro you know, production process and then just really trying to absorb, still absorbing content, like still listening to the Sean West podcast, still, you know, like reading all these articles um, from all these amazing influencers and just learning from my mistakes and just growing. And then as I'm growing, sharing, because there's always that rule of reciprocity that I think we have to remember. If you give someone something, they're going to want to give you something back. So if I give you free content that teaches you, uh, you might buy a product in the future or you might talk to your friends about me or like there's so many different ways you can pay me back. And it's crazy. Like as much as I've given out into the world <laughs> of, of content, articles and videos, even today, I still get back tenfold. And I think that's the key to anything. It's just consistency, authenticity. That's an important one and also hard to say. <laughs> and then just also being able to give as much as you can. And that's pretty much what landed it for me. I can relate with that almost exactly because in my case, it was when I started sharing stuff on social media that I started to get clients too. I mean, it makes a big um, impact on your, I guess, your, your SEO results and, and just basically people being able to find you. So I think that's a good lesson for everyone. If you want to do something, you just have to start putting your work out there consistently and building up a following. And like you said, clients will follow. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I'm keen to talk through your process. So um, could you talk through how you would go about doing a hand lettering um, project from start to finish? So clients approach you, what happens next? Okay, so let's say we're doing a logo design project. So um, the first stage is I always like to really over-communicate with clients because anytime anything's ever gone wrong in the history of clients, it's it's us- it's always the designer's fault. I truly believe that. And it's it comes down to a lack of communication or they weren't listening or they didn't read the contract or you didn't explain it in an easy enough way for them to understand it. So I think there's a big part of education that goes first. You're not giving away any industry secrets. You're not being, pay- you're not being paid. It's just being very curious and inquisitive. So asking as many questions as you think could help you to paint a better picture of what their brand would, like what would be the visual graphic that would support their essence, essentially. So like asking even weird questions like, hey, how much money do you plan to make this year? How do you get your audience? Is it through online marketing? Do you do door to door? Do you have a brick and mortar store? Like not only asking things like, hey, what kind of typefaces do you like? Or what's your favorite color? No, I don't care about the client's personal preference. It's all about the audience. Like how can I get your audience to go, ooh, that's pretty cool. And actually make them remember you and like you and just have you rise to the top above your competitors, even just so slightly. so after the discovery phase, I like to, um, I mean, if we could just do it an email, that's fine, but I prefer something like this, like a phone call or a video chat, uh, just because you're able to ask so many more, I think, better influenced questions when someone's like right in front of you versus email can be a little impersonal and you can miss some opportunities there. Um, so after that, it usually takes, I don't know, like a week, depending on if it's an agency or a small business. And then I send them a quote via email. So the quote is super long. Like I warned them like, hey, this email is a doozy <laughs> pretty much. If you want me to walk you through it, I totally can. And I talk about what my process would be specifically when working with them. And then I give them three options of price. Um, so that way, instead of them just being like, oh, two grand, no thank you. It could be like two grand, four grand and six grand, let's say. And then instead of it being a question of, hey, should I hire you? It changes to what should I hire you for? So it's like a nice little flip perspective. Uh, once they pick a quote, uh, and they usually, uh, for logo design, you have the design fee, then you have the usage rights fee, um, which changes, obviously, uh, if it's like a pizza place down the street that just started, or if it's Papa John's that's been around for a hot minute, um, the price would obviously be a little bit higher. Uh, so once they have a quote, they have a good understanding of what's happening, then I send them a proposal. So a lot of people might think this is redundant, like, okay, you sent them your process and pricing, why are you doing it again? Because I want to make sure they read the fine print. And also, I don't want to scare them away with my initial proposal with all my terms and conditions before they know what they're paying, because I don't want them to have to like dig through paperwork to understand my process. So I give them the proposal. Again, I'm reinstating, okay, this is my process. This is the official price point. This is how many revisions might be included. This is the amount of time. All of the good stuff. Uh, and I have samples of my contracts on my website. So if anyone wants to check them out, they're, they're available. Um, and they sign it. Cool. All right. Now they have to pay a 50% deposit. And I'm getting into crazy detail because I know this is the kind of detail that people really want. Not just like, oh, a discovery, and then I sketch. Like, no, 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 duh. I think so, you're right. People want all the juicy stuff. Yeah, they want, like, yeah. how That's did you exactly do that? What, what did I'm... you say? Copy and yeah. paste your email. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which I have done. People have emailed me because I've, you know, talked about this before. And I'll, I'll, if you email me, I'll just send you a copy of these emails. It's no skin off my back. I have a template. It saves me time. 
Like I'll totally share it with you. I think what I'll do, Dina, is um, after the podcast, we'll have a separate chat and we'll pull together um, links to these different resources you mentioned and I'll put them in the show notes with this episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll give you like the proposal sample, the emails, all that stuff. Um, just don't copy and paste it, guys. Use your own voice. Your voice is just as important as mine. Um, okay. So where are we at? Proposal. Okay. Deposit. So they have to pay a 50% deposit even for them to get on my schedule. Um, so I send them the invoice, they pay it. Cool. And then I go ahead and I send them another email. Okay. Here's your official production schedule, even though it was already outlined in the proposal. Again, I'm going to over-communicate. I want to make sure you know exactly what's happening. So <laughs> I send you another email. Okay. This is the deadline of when sketches are due. This is the deadline when I need your approval. Cause I need them to give me feedback within one business day. Cause I don't like to dilly dally in projects. Like I like to focus on one project at a time. And if you take too long to respond, I'm going to get bored with your project and move on and then have to cancel. So it's really important that we both know exactly what we need from each other in order to create a great project. Right. So production schedule. And then every Monday throughout this process, I send them another check-in email. Like, hey, just want to let you know everything's going fine. This is your next due date. Just constantly reminding them of everything. So that way I don't get a, an angry email at 2 in the morning of a, of a confused client that doesn't know when they're getting sketches. So it's all about, like, preventing these communication issues, right? So finally, it's production time. Yay. All, after all that time and effort, don't worry. You should be charging enough to more than cover your time if you're doing things right. Um, so I start my production process. I just, like most people, just a buttload of really dirty, ugly, rough thumbnails, just trying to get as many ideas on paper as possible. I always like to use my imagination first before I look at any references because I don't want to copy anybody. And also we're supposed to be creative. So we need to be able to use our own beautiful imagination before we can use anybody else's. Right. So go ahead, think of as many as you can. And then if you're like stuck and you can't think of another concept after like the 15th, (laughs) <laughs> like a little rough sketch, then, you know, pop on over to Pinterest or Instagram or dribble is my personal favorite for inspiration and then start to Frankenstein some of your best ideas together. I like to make a design baby because there's usually elements of like, Hey, I like the lick of that R or I like this particular kind of filigree or I like how this is bold or this is slanted. It is kind of like, so that way, no matter what I do, my work never looks the same as some people might've noticed. I use lots of different styles. I'm not just that designer who just does brush script or that designer who just does, um, like sign painting. It's just pretty much everything. Um, so I go ahead and do my, my production process and I narrow it down to two final high fidelity sketches. Now my process has changed over the years. So nowadays I'll present two final sketches to my client and they can either a just choose one, make it really easy for me, or again, continue to Frankenstein things together. At this point, if they would like a revision, they do get one. I used to not offer revisions, but I want to make the client as happy as possible. So I usually, when I just give them one round of revisions, um, and I charge extra for revisions, because like, let's say you're working and you have a two-week deadline, and then your your rate is $100 an hour. But if you're doing revision, usually you need to make it in like a day or two. So it should be more because you're producing it quicker. So it'd be like 150 just to give you reference. so we have the d- discussion. Very rarely do they ever have a revisions at this point. They just offer it just so they feel a little bit more comfortable working with me. Um, but I'm definitely not one of those designers who's like, unlimited revisions for $200. Like, no, thanks. I'm a professional. Let me do my job. <laughs> so that way you could be really effective at yours. And that way there's a mutual level of respect that's included within the process, which is so important. 
Um, okay, so they pick their piece, and then it's all about Photoshop. And nowadays, I have a beautiful iPad Pro. I like to use AstroPad to screen mirror Photoshop to my iPad. I use my Apple Pencil to really get in there and make it look as organic and clean as possible. So if I'm doing a logo, I literally just image trace, usually, in uh, Illustrator. I never whip out the pen tool because I really like the integrity of the handmade. And I don't want it to look like a font. I don't want it to look perfect. I want it to look more authentic, more human. I want it to have that handmade element that just stands out from the crowd of minimalistic designs, right? So that's my, that's my shtick, right? <laughs> and the clients usually approach me because they want that same tone for their identity. Um, so I go ahead, I go into Photoshop, I fix it all up, clean up, I get really zoomed in, pixel perfect, right? But with just the right amount of mistakes, right? And then instead of just presenting that final logo to the client, now at this point there is no revisions, because they've been a part of this production process the whole time. I send them an entire presentation. So I, I showed them, okay, this is the art direction we discussed. These are the sketches. These are all the thumbnails. Here is all the different stages of colors for your identity. Here's me trying, still at the very end, sleeping on all the adjustments made and really tweaking this thing out and really just focusing real hard on this usually like five-lettered logo, right? Because uh, the less letters and simpler it is, the more you have to watch out for those issues, especially with sizing and readability when it comes to just a you know, hand-lettered logo. So I create the presentation, which is essentially a case study. And I go ahead and I send that to the client. Once they approve it, I get that last 50% down. And then when they pay, I give them a usually a printout. I send them a print which uh, I started doing once a client asked for it once, which I thought was weird. So I literally just make these super long, like Pinterest-like images of the process, and I send that to the client as like a keepsake. So a lot of my clients will send me pictures of like these long, like these long posters that I make for them, and I just print them off my printer and send them over. It's a nice little added touch. And then I send, out, you know, obviously the final vector files and all the color combinations. And if they had paid for a branding guide, then I will include that, of course, too. So. That's my process. And I realize it's very long, <laughs> but it works. And I always have happy clients in my entire, like six years of doing this. I've only ever had one client not happy with their logo. And that was because she didn't communicate. She just changed her mind mid project. And then she ended up paying me another fee all over again to do it again. And then she was happy. So I'm going to say that's a successful process. <laughs> I want to take a quick moment to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, FreshBooks. When I first started to get paying clients, I would use Excel spreadsheets to log payments and expenses. Then I'd use InDesign to create my invoices. This was great when I first started, but once I started to get more clients, my problem was everything took too long and it started to feel very unorganized and unprofessional. When I found FreshBooks, it made my life so much easier. Invoices were quick and easy to create, and I could easily keep an eye on my profits and expenses too in a beautifully designed dashboard. I not only felt more professional, but everything was also more organized and it freed up time too, so that I could focus on my logo design projects. Now I'd highly recommend you checking out FreshBooks because I think it's fantastic. And to do that, FreshBooks has kindly offered the listeners of this show a free, unrestricted 30-day trial. To claim this, simply visit freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek 
and enter Logo Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Now let's get back to the interview. First, I want to say thank you for going into so much detail. Um, I mean, there's a lot in there to take in. Uh, I have a few questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that you work in uh, Photoshop, and I know we've spoken about this um, uh, in, in the past already, but could I just ask, just so that, that, that the people listening understand, mm. what's the reason why you use photo, Photoshop in this case rather than Illustrator? Um, I like raster, like raster can hold more of the nuances of a pen. And I like use brushes that represent like micron pens and Sharpies and that kind of thing that I've gotten from retro supply on creative market. I, uh, I plug them a lot because I freaking love <laughs> all of their products. Um, and it's just all about making it look like a person actually drew it. Like, I do not like clean design. I've never liked it. Even when I was a designer and it was all the rage and I was doing web design, I freaking hated it. And it was almost impossible for me to, like, just, like, be excited to go to work because it just was more of the same and boring. And, and like, I like, if you look at any of my work now, like, not for a logo, but let's say we're doing a cover of a magazine. Like, I like to fill every nook and cranny with something. And I like to put doodles and... I just, I want to, I want it to just look more inviting and warm, not just, and to me, like clean, perfect, uh, 90 degree angle Bezier handles in uh, Illustrator. Like I know how to do all that stuff. I just don't enjoy doing it. Um, and it just doesn't have the right tone that I think uh, a hand lettered logo or a hand lettered piece needs. It's like, what's the point of making it all clean and perfect if it's a hand lettered piece of art? You know what I mean? That's just from my perspective. There's, a, there's enough designers out there that can rock the pen tool, you know? Okay. Um, the next question I have, um, you mentioned that you charge extra for changes. Now, I know a lot of people are going to be really curious about how you, how you do this. So when, when does the client have the opportunity to kind of say, I'm not sure about that direction, could we take this direction because I wouldn't say that was necessarily a change I mean how, how are you handling with that 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 type of thing um, so usually the time for revisions is during the sketch process okay. just because it's so much easier to make a change um, and you don't want to go f too far down a road and then have to completely change it so it's always about just time management so it's basically those two sketches that you're showing the client that's essentially the opportunity for the client to say I'm not sure about that particular direction. Could we do something a little bit more like this? Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay. And then so at the end, once it's all finished, it's, it's a final product. You're basically sending it to the client. And if they do want changes at that point, you then charge. Um, I don't allow for changes after the final presentation. Okay. Yeah. So that's why it's just like super clear communication. And I totally skipped a step while I was talking about the process because there's so many things. <laughs> um, so I know not every designer likes to mood board, but I like mood boards. I'm a big fan of Pinterest. So the first thing that we do is like during all that research and I'll go into like their their analytics uh, for their website, their social media presence. Um, Instagram has great analytics now, which is so amazing. Thank you, Facebook, for putting that in there. Um, 
so I really just do a lot of research and then I create uh, a mood board of like, I get crazy detailed, like this kind of stroke with this kind of color, with this kind of lick. This is the varied weight structure that I want the lettering to have. I want it to be on this arc and this container and this layout. So I'm literally like, you know, Frankensteining and making baby without doing anything. So there's no production work. It's all just me talking. And it's literally me and the client just picking and choosing what we like, what we don't like. So I have a super clear picture of what our art direction is moving forward. So like they know from the very beginning what to pretty much expect when they get those two sketches. And I think that's a super big part of why no one really has revisions because we talked it all out. And, you know, as a professional, you know what to, you know, like what's obviously you need to rule out when you're doing a logo, like what styles are too trendy and you shouldn't be using or what's appropriate for their audience. Um, or like what, like because of all the different sizing and placements of the logo, you need this kind of lockup if you could only afford one lockup, things like that. Okay, that makes total sense. I'm curious to know, um, the presentation that you sent, you mentioned it's more like a case study. How, how are you presenting that work? Are you, are you kind of showing the steps that you took to get to that final thing? Because I understand at that point, that's kind of like the finished thing to some extent, isn't it? So I'm, I'm just curious, what's, mm -hmm. what, what, what is it that you're presenting at that point? Yeah, so it's pretty much a rundown of every design decision I've made along the way. So, like, again, like an another way that I just make sure I stay on track with my clients' goals, because as we know, as artists, we, we have shiny object syndrome. And if we see something cool, we want to make it. <laughs> and we, you know, sometimes personal preference can kind of dig its dirty claws in your client's work where it really shouldn't be. Um, so any day that I'm working on a client project, when I'm done for the day, I go ahead and I record everything I did. So like whatever, whether it's me taking a picture of me sketching or, you know, like just uploading a scan or, you know, a screen uh, screen grabbing the mood board and then I write out what I did that day and why I did it. So that way every stage along the way I'm making sure that I'm staying <laughs> with those guides that have been set forth and I stay within the scope because you know, even sometimes staying within the scope you always want to do more, you want to over deliver but you have to only do what you're being paid for. I think that's very important because it just gives the client a reason to take advantage of you unfortunately. But to get back to your question yeah, so I pretty much have that all that, that content already made. So by the time it's done, the, the essentially the case study is done. So it's just, and if you look at uh, any of my portfolio pieces right now on the site, you can see exactly what I present to the client. Um, so, you know, just showing like, hey, this is the Pinterest board. This is the art direction we talked about. Here are the sketches. This is, you know, all the different, I'll show them maybe like two or three versions of me creating logos. Because let's face it, if I posted every single thing I did, that page would be very, very long. Um, so to keep it a little bit more concise, and usually I only write like a paragraph or two with each step. Um, and then if, you know, if they did include a branding guide, I'll usually include, uh, you know, a file to download from that page of the branding guide. And I don't feel concerned giving them all that information at the end because they're all 72 DPI. It's obviously for the web. If they even tried to use the logo, it would not only be a legal issue because I do have uh, lawyers on retainer. Um, it would also, they wouldn't be able, it would be a very high quality uh, version. And I don't believe in watermarks either. So I, I, you know, there's a level of trust that I have to give back to the client at a certain point. Um, and they usually are very impressed. Just like, I, I, like, wow, I like, even though I tell them they're going to get this at the end of the day, they're always like, holy crap, no one ever, no one I've ever worked with, especially when you work with like big agencies that work with logo designers and illustrators all the time, tell you like, 
you're the first person to ever do this. I'm so impressed. Like that makes you feel good. And they're probably going to want to work with you again. Like that's the kind of over delivering I want to do. I don't want to like give you 10 different options to pick for a logo, but for me to just show myself as, as professional as possible is always something I'm trying to stay true to during any production process when working with a client. So I just think the case study is just like the icing on the cake. I love it. It kind of sounds like a uh, a diary for the project, and mm-hmm. like the that's the exactly client, what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like the client can just read through, and um, you know, ra- rather than just getting the final thing, they're actually kind of able to follow along your journey and feel more connected with it. And I mean, I don't know anyone else that does this type of thing to that degree. And I, I think it goes nicely with um, with your brand and everything that you created. It's It's got more of a handmade feel to it. And I, I think that's mm. really nice. Thanks. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I heard it from, it was, I heard it from someone before Sean West and it had nothing to do with lettering or design. I think it was more of, um, it was like a social media marketing tactic for clients um, when social media uh, it's like, oh, wow, we can use this to make money. Like, like when that light bulb was finally coming up like a few years ago. Um, and just kind of like, you know, taking other people's processes, trying them and then just seeing what works the best for me. Because there's a lot of things that, you know, I, all these really cool influencers were say, but you have to make a decision for yourself. What works for me? Like whether you have family or kids that might change your production timeline or maybe you're the kind of person who likes to present more options. If that's something you feel more comfortable with, then do it. But I definitely think, like, give my process a try. See if it does something for your bottom line. If it doesn't, don't do it. If it does, awesome. I'm so happy you listened to this podcast. <laughs> okay. I know that you live feed your work on Twitch, which I've got to say is very brave. Um, and with Twitch... I don't know if, if anyone's seen it. Basically, Dina, she does this live feed and people can come in and they can watch and they can interact. And I remember the first time I came on, I come on and <laughs> it was the weirdest thing, kind of watching a tutorial and you can ask a question and Dina, you're like, hey, Ian. <laughs> it's so strange. It's so strange. Now, I'm really curious. What was it that made you start doing this? Okay, so again, jealousy. Jealousy is what got me to stream. Jealousy is what got me to letter. It's so weird. Like, use when you get mad that people are more successful than you, do something about it. Okay, that's like the only thing I could say. So my like my best friend from school growing up, um, uh, her name is Amanda Safola. She was streaming games um, on Twitch because it's a mostly gaming platform. Adobe went ahead and took it over and created the creative section, which has been exploding for the past few years. Just to give you guys some background um so she uh has a tag called kirby llama and she plays like h1z1 and she's really funny and she does voices and all that stuff and she makes she makes a living like from twitch she doesn't have a job she doesn't she's not an artist she doesn't sell work she doesn't do client work she just streams on twitch and people donate and sub to her just like a sub like when you subscribe to someone on youtube it's very similar but you pay like five dollars a month and she was living off donations and i was like how and holy hell did you do this? Like, what? Like, I've been working my butt off for 10 years, 
And you make three grand a month just being on the internet three hours a day? Are you kidding me? I need to know more about this. Um, so she came to visit me for my birthday a few years ago. And I was on her stream and I checked it out and there was drinking involved. So it made it much more fun. <laughs> and I'm very bad at playing video games. So I screamed a lot because, of course, we played a scary game. And I was just like, I don't want to die. It was awful. Um, but I really liked it. And the community was really cool. And you just kind of got that rush of like the dopamine when people like you right that's why we like are attached to our phones and i uh, love that blue screen so much um so i was like, okay i'm gonna give this a go so she kind of gave me like twitch 101 while she was here and i like i set it up on a computer and i got obs and for those of you who aren't familiar with twitch as a streamer it's very complicated um very very complicated and there's no uh, like a lot of resources out there to learn it so and another story is i wrote an ebook teaching you how to use twitch because twitch didn't even have a book on how to use their own platform um but anyways so i just started doing it i really liked it and this was at a point where i just gone full-time freelance so i was missing that social interaction that i was getting for my day job mind you there's only a few people i worked with but still like just being like you almost feel like you're a prisoner in your house and then, like, you're just excited to go to the grocery store, like, <laughs> like when, you, when, you, when you first go full-time, because you're just not used to the solitude. And it really helped me, like, break out of the four walls of my studio, actually talk to someone, talk to lots of someones, and they were engaging with me. They seemed to like my personality and my work. Um, I was able to use, I used to be a stand-up comedian. Um, so I, you know, you know, do like little bits and they'd be like, whoa, how did we go from like talking about the tittle of an eye to a boob joke? Like what just happened? And so it's, you know, it's much more of my personality and a little bit more of like a conversation so much, not like a webinar that's like, so, you know, <laughs> white collar and like overly professional. Uh, Raji King was on my show once on Twitch and he coined the term, Dina, you are perv professional. And I think that's the most beautiful way to describe my personality as, as a professional, I would say. Um, but yeah, uh, that's how I got started in it. And uh, I still stream all the time. Now I'm even starting to stream on uh, Patreon because they just integrated. They, it's right now in beta, uh, but they like me. So yay, <laughs> I have the beta. Um, so I've been you know, focusing more on Patreon lately. But I just think live streaming in general is just wonderful. It's the best way to make a real I mean this real connection with your audience. You're not just, you know, limited to 147 characters. You're not able to screen yourself. You have to be yourself. And that's the best thing that you can do for your brand, especially if it's just you and you don't, you're not a part of an agency. People get to know you. If someone likes you on top of respecting your work and, and wanting to work with you, oh my God. That is a serious, loyal customer for years. Like, it, it made such a huge difference. People were buying my products more, my books. Uh, I was getting more clients from it. I was doing really fun commissions for these people, like, you know, making, like, personalized greeting cards. I even made a motorcycle patch for a girl gang. Like, what? <laughs> like, I'm doing all these really fun projects. Um, but, yeah, I'll always live stream. Live stream is the best. Okay, so you're live streaming. Mm -hmm. Are you doing paid work while streaming? Yeah. Well, if I'm allowed to, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I take it the, the client is probably going to sit there and watch. Am I right? That's happened a few times, yeah. Do you ever get any um, problem where the client starts to almost tie you what they're expecting or, you know, kind of interacting with you whilst you're doing that? Because I guess my concern uh, doing that is it, it would kind of be like having your client sat there watching what you're doing which i don't know i i don't feel like i would be okay with that so i'm just curious what your <laughs> thoughts are with this 
Um, well, it depends on what phase of the process that I'm streaming to. Like, if they've already, let's say, they've already seen the two sketches and I'm in the digitalization, okay. then there's nothing really for them to, like, backseat drive at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, there were a few times where, or I'd start in the very, very beginning thumbnail phase where, like, even if they did want to say something, I would just be like, hey, I'm still in the brainstorming process. You know what I mean? Like, I, I haven't tried everything yet. Like, you're probably not even going to see during the stream what I'm officially going to show you. So, usually when it comes to, like, the really important part, I'll normally not stream it. But even when I have in the past before, like, when I did this crazy chalk mural, I think it was my first one uh, for a place called Eastside Printing Co. And it was, like, one of those collages of, like, all their different services on one side. And it was, like, this rotating custom wood panel that was really cool. And they, like, spent way too much money on redecorating their, their studio. And the front was, like, their logo and, like, a place to put a bookshelf and this whole thing. So, and this project took, like, forever to do. And I was losing my mind. So I just had to stream the whole thing just so I could get a little company wallet. And, you know, sometimes, you know, he would come in and check it out. And he never said anything bad. He never was trying to tell me what to do. Especially since I established those boundaries so much up front and repeat them so much in the beginning of the process. It's very rare for client to even think it's appropriate for them to, to chime in because they know that's the like one of the boundaries I have. It's not the appropriate time for feedback. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then my, my other question was, um, what is it that makes you continue to, to keep doing this? I like it. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. I, I really like <laughs> it. Um, I don't know. It's just so nice. It's like walking into a bar where everyone knows your name. Like when you... Uh, start streaming, everyone's really excited and, uh, you know, and people are just so beautifully kind. It's cr like, I know we live in this world of trolls and awful people and those people exist, sure. But the positive, happy people so much outweigh the trolls is crazy. <laughs> like people who like, I'll say something like, oh man, I'm hungry. My client hasn't paid me yet. I don't have any money for groceries. Boop, just got a $50 donation. What the hell? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you people? Or um, like I'm having a computer issue. So someone will hang out with me on another app called Discord, which works great with Twitch to help me through my problem for two hours. Like you're not just streaming to your fans. You're streaming to your friends. That's you know so I mean? cool. Yeah. And it's just it's a great feeling, too. And like it, it's not for everyone, but I definitely think it's worth trying. Uh, if anyone has the time to stream or maybe you're in the same predicament as me and you're just feeling a little lonesome, it, it's, it's great. And so like whatever stream platform, like I would highly recommend Twitch because they have, uh, they've, you know, got all the kinks out. It's working really well. Patreon, I see a great future for them for live streaming. And then obviously like YouTube, uh, just not so much, not a big fan of like the, uh, the mobile live, like the Instagram live or the Facebook, something about being able to have like multiple camera angles and, and just a little bit more control over the stream, I feel like just makes it so much more entertaining. And if your stream is more entertaining, then it's less pressure for you to be entertaining. It's kind of like a weird <laughs> yin yang to that. Okay, I think you need to tell everyone like when when do you stream and <laughs> how can you go and watch that? <laughs> Well, um, so, oh man, I wish I was cool enough to have a schedule. I so don't believe in schedules. I tried so many times to, like, okay, every Thursday this time. But then life got in the way. Or um, a friend needed me. Or, I, you know, I had to make dinner. Or I was in a client meeting too long. Because clients, you know, will always take priority over streaming. But if you do follow me on Twitch or follow me on Twitter, 
Um, I always announce when I'm about to go live, and if you just follow me, you'll get like a nice little notification. So that way, I can stream at all different time zones, hang out with people from the UK, and uh, and Amsterdam, and uh, also here in the States. Um, so I like to change it up a bit. But just follow me on Twitch uh, twitch.tv slash lettershop. And if you want to be super cool, and I mean this, super cool, follow me on Patreon, patreon.com slash lettershop. If you just pledge a dollar, that's it, a dollar, you get free lettering tutorials and you get uh, exclusive access to all the live streams, which is, uh, I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm officially going to switch to Patreon, but I think for now I'm going to kind of like be best friends with both of them because they're both really fun. And also there's something really special about an exclusive live stream. I really like it. Smaller communities, better interaction. Well, our time's almost up, so I've got one last question for you. Okay. So you found your passion and you're now making a living from it. For others out there who also want to do the same, what one piece of advice could you give them to do that? Absorb as much content as possible. Like, read all the articles, subscribe to the podcasts, watch the videos. And then once you've run out of free content, go to paid content. I teach different styles of hand lettering every single month on Patreon, uh, things like black letter, Victorian, uh, all the vintage styles. I also even have a class on um, Creative Live that teaches you how to make money <laughs> from your passion, specifically if you want to be an illustrator or lettering artist, just type Dina Rodriguez into Creative Live, you'll find it. Um, and besides that, like once you're consuming that content, don't forget that even though you need to be like learning and growing, you still need to produce more content than you are absorbing. Because if you're just learning and you're not practicing, you're not gonna get any better. They need to go hand in hand. And that's the most important thing I could ever tell anybody. I love that advice. Everything you said there, I'll make sure to put links in the show notes. I mean, there's been so much that we spoke about in this, um, different links and resources. So um, <laughs> I'll mention the link shortly um but yeah i'll add it in the show notes fantastic well dina thank you so much for being on the podcast uh you've been an awesome guest and um yeah i'm sure i'll speak to you soon thanks dina Yay! happy to be here bye guys wow there's so much value in this episode dina thank you so much for your time and just for being so open with your process and everything it was amazing to listen to and i'm sure everyone uh, really appreciates all of the value that you gave here now in this episode we discussed loads of useful resources so make sure to check out the show notes for this episode which can be found at logogeek.uk forward slash podcast three if you'd like to get to know more about Dina, make sure to check out her website and you can find that at lettershop.com and that's shop spelled S-H-O-P-P-E. She has some fantastic prints and books for sale. So if you enjoy well-designed hand lettering as much as me, you'll enjoy those too. So make sure to check that out. If you'd like to meet other logo designers to talk about this episode, please join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. To find that, simply visit logogeek.uk forward slash community or find me on Twitter at logo underscore geek. So guys, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.